Hey, Mayo, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm good. So we're going to do some Ask 9to5Mac later, but I wanted to hit you with one right off the bat because I have a preconceived notion about you. I've known you for like almost 10 years, but... So we got asked whether we leave our phones or Apple Watches on silent or with the ringer enabled, and I want to know what you do. Oh, this is easy. It's muted all the time. It's muted all the time. See, I figured, knowing you, knowing you live alone, that you just have everything full blast all the time. Hell no. No, I mean, since the Apple Watch came out, it just have I have that muted and I just have everything on vibration. So the watch right. vibrates my wrist. That's so, for me. So we're on the same page. I'm surprised. I... Why do people want noises? They're so annoying. Well, you just respond so quickly. You're typing at me from your watch all the time. I figured you're always fully in the loop. It taps. I probably have a few. I mean, I make sure my watch only taps for people of importance. Am so. I? A, I'm a person of importance now to you. Really? No, but I mean, I have it on like messages yeah. and yeah, like I don't have I and like group chats and stuff. I have all muted, like properly muted, so because that just gets way too um, annoying if that's tapping you all day long. But sounds wise, everything's everything's switched off. You can't miss a phone call if you're getting a phone call these days. Like that's oh, true. vibrates, the phone vibrates, the Mac lights up with a little notification in the corner. I think the Mac probably makes a noise because I just um, don't don't. Oh, it know, does. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, you just don't think about it, right? Um, but I have all like Mac sounds switched off. You know the stupid sound effect things. They all get turned off. Uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a mute man. The thing about getting a call on your Mac is that little notification. It still like takes over control, so it. Mm-hmm. It becomes the focused window, and whatever you're doing just goes into the background. And I, it really annoys me when you like answer on your phone, but then the notification on the Mac doesn't disappear for like another like, yeah. three seconds. So like the person that you are use like, well, I can still hear it ring on <laughs> my other computer. It's like it's uh, good because sometimes you do you would do an answer on the laptop, and it's convenient. But other times it's just like just go away, and uh, it's never quite as quick as you want it to be. No, it's not. But you, you mute everything as well, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I keep I keep my Mac notifications on throughout the day, but I have messages sounds on Mac turned off. So the only sounds I hear from my Mac are Slack and, yeah, pretty much just Slack, I guess, and email and mail, yeah. I turn, I turn Slack. I, I get annoyed by the Slack noise, so I turn the Slack noise off as well. Well, that must be nice for you. I, I mean, I check it with the... Um... Like the badge, the icon badges in the dock, right? So like, that's that's generally how I've adjusted to my life. I like either get vibrations or you get a little red dot, and then you're like, "Oh, I just click on it." Well, I'm proud of you. You surprised me. Yeah. You never fail. I'm I'm perfect. No, I'm oh yeah. <laughs> so this week, Mark Gurman at Bloomberg says that Apple is planning a second generation Apple Watch Ultra for this fall, which I guess some people we're questioning but to me this always seemed pretty much like a lock-in anyway really i i wasn't sure like i wasn't sure if it was going to be on the same yearly schedule as the other watches or if they like did it every two years kind of situation because obviously we haven't heard many rumors about um the airport series 9 in general but like you look at what the ultra did yeah uh, last year i was maybe anticipating that like the series 9 update might just be the Series 8 plus a feature or two that the Ultra had last year. So then why do you need to bother with an Ultra update if you're just giving it features that already came around? And we haven't heard like concrete rumors, unfortunately, yet. But like, imagine if like the Series 9 feature is adding an action button to the side, which would be quite useful and would mean that people like me who have smaller mm-hmm. wrists can actually use an action button on their on their watch without having to buy a massive big Ultra. 
Um, so I don't think, and, and and because the Ultra is like, you know, the higher end niche product, it kind of slots into the same equivalency as like a MacBook Pro, which also doesn't get annual updates, you know, more like yeah. an 18 month kind of like iPad schedule, right? So like, I wasn't sure if the, I wasn't convinced that the Ultra was getting updated this year, but I wasn't like surprised when this was reported. It was just like, this confirms it, you know? Well, one of the rumors we've heard for the Series 9, though, is that it's going to have a faster processor for the first time since, what, the Series 6? Five. Five. Or six. Yeah. It's so, been three years of had the same chip. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense yeah. to give that faster processor just to the Series 9 and not the Ultra. And the Ultra can take advantage of it more. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's probably what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. This update, this full, will be the same design for the Ultra, but you get the chip update. Um, yeah, I mean... It is true that, like, obviously it's, like, a silly if stuff gets out of whack like that, but it happens, you know? Yeah. Like, the M3 Max will come around while the M2 Pro M2 Max chips still exist in the higher-end lines. Like, these things fall out of sync, you know, on a non... Yeah, true. A, a non-irregular basis. Like, sometimes it's not planned. It's just, oh, this this thing got delayed, this thing got delayed. Okay, now this is shipping this way. I mean, we literally just had the 15-inch M2 MacBook Air launch a year after the 30-inch MacBook Air, right? <laughs> True. And originally, it's pretty obvious that they were meant to launch together last June. Yeah. But, you know, supply chain problems popped up, production problems popped up, so it gets pushed back, and oh, here it is right now. Um, with the Ultra, I could have seen them, you know, just keeping it s- the same for a, you know, skip one generation maybe or whatever, and then come back around next year. Because I also wonder if they're going to, like, promote it as Apple Watch Ultra, series two do you know like i feel yeah. like it's kind of product that will just always be the apple watch ultra i hope like, so yeah more like the MacBook pro right where it has a year designation if you really look into it um but it's just basically that's this is the apple watch ultra and so they could they could get away with it being unchanged for a generation um obviously it's nice that they're going to at least spec bump mm-hmm. the new cpu but i wouldn't have been like you know wedded to it um you could i i could have envisioned a future where that didn't happen let's put it that way because you use the 40 millimeter of what generation? The six? Oh, it's really old. It's no older than that. Uh, four. Oh, wow. So are you going to upgrade yeah. this year? I think so. You think, think so. so? I've been kind of waiting for a good generation. And uh, you haven't I've been, been one over? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the Series 4 came out and then the Series 5 added always on the very next year. I was like, I'm not going to buy a whole new watch just for, you know. Like, I think it's a great feature and it really makes the watch better. But, like, I literally just bought it, right? I was like, oh, I'm not going to change it out this year. I'll wait a bit longer. Then they added the attitude thing. I was like, I'm not climbing for mountains. <laughs> I don't really care about that. Uh, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they yeah. added blood oxygen. Blood oxygen is like, eh, it's fine, but it didn't really push me over the edge. And the biggest, the thing that nearly got me to buy was when they made the screens bigger with the right. Series 7, like mm-hmm. that design generation. I was close that year, but I, um, that might be in the same year. The That was probably 2021 which was mm-hmm. the MacBook Pro year. So I spent like oh yeah, three and a half grand on a laptop. I was like, oh, well, I'll just carry on with the watch. And I've been surprised, actually. I was kind of waiting for the watch like battery just to die out on me. But it, I've, I think I just got lucky. It's really held up. Like maybe only with this beta season, i.e. the watch was 10 beta, does the battery really mm-hmm. feel constrained. Before then, I was happily still getting through the whole day, you know, doing the workout every now and again, and it was fine. So I haven't really felt a need to change it out. And I use it for notifications and... Um, fitness stuff right and it still works pretty 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 well and almost as good as i as a boy so you know i like the apple watch a lot but it's certainly not something where i'm like wedded to upgrading it every single year i mean i don't upgrade the phone every single year so uh i just i'm a bit more chill when it comes to that kind of stuff and the, i will say though with watch os 10 series 4 we're getting a bit of a beating 
yeah. uh, in many regards. The design isn't great on Series 4. For instance, the Messages app now, they have a new design where like mm-hmm. the um, each row of in your Messages list, it has a big avatar of the person um, the, for, that represents that contact. Well, that means on my watch, which is the small watch size, uh, because my wrist is really small, so I can't really fit a bigger screen, uh, and it look you know, it look non stupid. Um, so as it is, a you can't really see as much as you used to because before you could see like four messages conversations at a time. Now I can only see about one, and the others oh, are yeah. you know, clipped off the ends, which isn't great. And then also performance wise, and this might just be a, a beta one, beta two situation, but it also just might be the fact that now the series four is really getting really old. Like you know, they have all those like new like blur effects and transitions when you mm-hmm. click on things. They the the performance is terrible. Like it's not that it's like <laughs> laggy, but like you click on the messages conversation and it's like it's like waiting to render the animation. So like you like sit there uh, for like two seconds before it like the screen pushes to the side. So I'm really feeling it on this beta where it's like this is kind of doomed. Um when this full comes around, I still have the human ergonomic problem of like my wrists are just you know, my arms are just pretty thin, so I'm not gonna be able to be eligible for an ultra because it's way yeah. too big. The forty five millimeter is pushing it so i'll be back again on the 41 millimeter size uh, which is barely bigger than what i wear right now so i'm still kind of concerned about the direction of the operating system design in it just kind of you know they're just making stuff bigger and it's like well if you, you know they still sell that smaller watch and a lot of people buy it mm-hmm. um and it's to the detriment of that size uh so yeah like I'm, I'll, I'll probably get a new watch this year um and i hope that Obviously, for everybody, like you shouldn't have to upgrade a watch just because you upgrade your OS, right? So, like, right. hopefully, the performance issues will be resolved by the time you know the watch OS ten actually is public. Uh, but obviously, it's now been five years, so it's a decent enough time to upgrade. It doesn't s- seem like there's any crazy new feature coming this year, but it no. is nice that I'm upgrading on a year when you're getting a faster chip, right? Because that was the other reason I didn't upgrade the last couple of years. I was like, well, the CPU's not changed anyway, so I might as well just hold out a bit longer. It seems like we're like on the precipice of some bigger changes with like the uh, new screen technology that Apple's working on and blood pressure detection, but none of those. I think all of that's like twenty twenty four at the earliest, probably twenty twenty five, and you have to yeah, assume the, that stuff is start with the ultra, starting with the ultra exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I don't. I mean, I think it's a cool screen technology and it'd probably be nice, but it's like I can't buy something that big. It just won't look. It just looks stupid. And even ignoring the um, size problem, I don't really like the Apple Watch Ultra design. I know that's mm-hmm. not the popular take, but I prefer the kind of more slender, sleek look of like the main Apple Watch line. The kind of intentionally bulky look of the Ultra with the bit that sticks out the side or whatever for where the you know like the digital crown container. Like I get it that it's like a fashion thing and like you know that's like a direction of watch that a lot of people do glom onto. But for me I if I had a bigger wrist I'd probably still pick the forty five millimeter normal one. You made a comment to me the other day that one of the reasons you wanted to keep doing happy hour with me is because I buy everything and I switch everything multiple times yeah, a you're year. The, you're the Zach replacement I know. Sure. And, yeah. If it weren't for me, you'd just still be talking about the Series 4. And yeah, Zach, Zach and now you are the reason I don't have to upgrade stuff as often. Well, I'll start sending you a bill. Just... Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of things I might buy, 30-inch iMac is in what German says is early development. There really isn't much else here that we that we know. Doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon, and I don't even know if it's going to be in the M3 era or maybe not until yeah. even further. Yeah, because this is, and 
this is something that I might buy. Uh, really? The, wow. Yeah, on the schedule. Yeah, like I really like the iMac um, form factor. Mm-hmm. And even though I have been with a laptop for a long time now, uh, the all-in-oneness of an iMac is like really cool. Uh, but the obviously for the Apple Silicon era, the iMac was off the table because they needed it in M1, right, the lowest mm-hmm. end um, chip. And for development work, I needed more, you know, more power than that. So the natural choice was to go to the laptops. Um, but th- you do lose the nice screen and you lose, you know, the integration and it all being in one unit. And I do use my laptop mostly um, as a desktop, you know, in the same place. And I do, you know, I do take it downstairs sometimes or whatever. But like, it's mostly in the same place on my desk. And so a 30-inch iMac is really appealing. My first Mac I ever bought back in 2010, that was an iMac. Mm-hmm. Um um, but now I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm going to get this laptop. At some point, I want to buy either the second generation Apple Studio display or the second generation Pro Display XDR, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you think an iMac is a... That, if you can get that in the iMac at the same time, it's like, that's a good that's a good option. It's a good value comparatively to the Studio Display price, presumably. But you also kind of lose the modularity of being able to keep the same display for years and years and then being able to upgrade the Mac. Yeah, I keep, I keep the computer for long enough, it'd work out. Yeah, like, um, I, I mean, I, I, like, because this is in early development, probably not, you know, expecting it until like 2025 kind of time frame, where my 2021 laptop finally, you know, starts to mature in terms of when yeah. I think about replacing it, you know. So, like, if it was end of 2025, I'd definitely be in in the market. Or if it's, you know, if it doesn't work, line up, then the second generation or whatever is is perfectly acceptable too. I'm just thinking, like, I'm probably gonna buy the next. Apple display, right? Whether it's the, mm-hmm. you know, you've, a while back, Philippe Esposito reported that Apple was um, testing around a 7K resolution one. Yeah. Right. And obviously, you know, the studio display is halfway through its lifetime now, and there's been some reports that are working the second generation of that. The first gen studio display, I just thought was too expensive for what it offered. Uh, so I wasn't really interested in it. But I do need a better external display to go along with this laptop. So it's definitely, and I've been kind of like waiting to see what they do with the second gen pro display situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a great and 30 inch screen you're basically in pro display um territory in terms of resolution because they're not going to do a non-retina iMac at this point right so no. if you're going bigger than 30 inches the pro display xdr is 32 inches right 32 yeah 32 yeah 6k so yeah so 6k so a, a great and 30 inch iMac is going to be at least 6k and if you look at the trend of what they do with the mini ad displays they generally go even higher resolution, so that kind of lines up to the 7K that you know we reported on before, kind of kind of range. So it kind of lines up, um, and if they deliver on that, this could be the spiritual successor to the Intel iMac Pro. Yeah, you know, the Apple Silicon um, uh, cycle so far, the iMac has been the 24-inch redesign, which is cool for people that you know want the lower end machine. Um, but they didn't do an M2, they didn't do an M2 revision, but we expect them to do an M3 revision. Uh, but there's been no answer to the iMac Pro other than to say get a Mac Studio with a Studio Display, right? Uh, but a great 30-inch iMac is is tempting for sure. Yeah, right now I have the Mac Studio with the Pro Display XDR. The thing that would, I think, push me over the edge to get this iMac is if it was ProMotion. A mm. 30, 32-inch display with ProMotion, that, that would be pretty, pretty enticing. And in terms of bandwidth it's more possible for them to pull it off when it's internal. Because, like, you know, if you're pushing 6K, 7K pixels, it's a lot to go over HDMI cable, especially with the, um, you know, full bitrate color and everything like that. 
Um, and so right now, I think up until up until they did the M2 Pro chips at the start of this year, there wasn't actually a solution to for them to make a 7K display. Yeah, I think and so. Be ProMotion and have enough bandwidth to be able to connect into the new Mac Studio, Mac Pro, and MacBook Pros have a higher speed, higher bandwidth. They call it 8K uh, HDMI port. Mm-hmm which is probably destined to connect up to the mythical Pro Display XDR2 whenever it's ready, right? Um, so that could be a solution there, but uh, it's it's certainly appealing that they could ship it in, a, in an iMac form factor too because then it's all internal. They can make their own custom display controller and 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 timing controller and everything else, which they actually did for the first generation of Retina iMacs, you know, 27th generation yeah. iMacs all, the, all those years ago. Um, and you can imagine, like, a 30-inch iMac could just look super cool with Apple Silicon, like... The, oh, the yeah. M1 iMac, it makes some compromises um, with the big chin at the bottom. But like when you've got 30 inches to play, you've got so much space behind. Uh, it doesn't need to be the super... Because with the with the M1 iMac, they prioritize the thinness right over in right. there. So that meant they, they had to stick out that little chin at the bottom. Which is but what they did the 30, with the Intel iMac too. The chin at the bottom for the tapered on the back. They did, yeah, they did. But that was also when they were worrying about thermal, oh, yeah, thermal yeah. restrictions of Intel, right? So, like, with an Apple Silicon world, they could have done, like, a slightly thicker M1 iMac that didn't have a chin, right? It, it would have, it would at least been possible. But if you go into 30 inches, you've got so much surface area and so much space that you could have, a, like, a tapered iMac Pro-style design and not have a chin either. Like, and it would obviously be powered by M3 or M4 chip or whatever. Um, so that'd be really nice and like i think it's unlikely oh, mark Gurman doesn't report on the specs right but i think mm-hmm. it's unlikely that apple does a a 30 inch imac that is just like an m1 or an m2 do you know like he's not gonna yeah, be, be a chip it's gonna be pro. a higher end configuration speaking of higher end configurations the little 13 inch macbook pro with a touch bar is still around and gonna stick around german says there's an m3 version in the works for whoever keeps buying this computer i'm not entirely sure why it exists or who's buying it but apple seems to think it's important to keep around i mean someone's buying it for them to keep making it right uh, and it was quite funny at the talk show live at WWDC, yeah uh gruber actually asked about that and you know even jaws and john turner couldn't really justify it as like a oh it's this role in the product line they're just like yeah it exists it has a touch bar you can buy it like clearly i think enterprise and business buy it probably because it just says MacBook Pro on it, and it's yeah. cheaper than the other MacBook Pros. Like, there's like a, there's just like a thing. There's like a stigma, right? If you buy a MacBook Air, well, you're not, you're not businessy enough, really. Like, you got to get the one that says MacBook Pro on it. And that uh, the company's been buying 13-inch MacBook Pros that look just like that model for the last eight years. Yeah, and they just want to keep buying the same thing. You know, now it's slightly faster in size because it's based on instead, but it looks exactly the same. They'll just keep shipping it out until I don't know when i mean like and it's we still feel like we're pretty far away from a from a higher end MacBook pro being cheaper and obviously part of it's the price point factor too so like maybe if they start seeing enterprise adopt the 15 inch macbook air then they can kill off the macbook pro that you know that 30 inch model eventually but that wouldn't be in time for this generation of when the m3 chips are in development right that's a you know a future thing they have to wait and see how well the 15 inch air is received before they can consider killing it off so yeah it will come out nobody will care about it the people that buy it will carry on buying it and uh i mean it's an even that. tougher sell with the 15 inch macbook air i mean they're, they're the same price 12.99 <laughs> for both of them like who who should buy this machine over something with a bigger screen 
a better design, better battery I mean, life. Consumer shit. Like, yeah, there's it's it's a it's a it's a business bulk buying thing. They go, you know, they like we need we need laptops for our for our for our workers. What did we buy before? We bought MacBook Pros. Hey, look, it's the MacBook Pro. You know, like the, yeah, it's the, like oh, you want this MacBook Air? Come on, yeah, but it's got air in the name. Like honestly, the name has such a big impact on it. It's like you know, it has the word air, it has the word pro, like. A certain class of business are not going to look at the actual specs below that. They'll just carry on buying what they always bought, which was Apple Pro. And so Apple keeps on making <laughs> it. Like they're the ultimate, um, they're the ultimate source of the purveyor of the ongoing cycle, right? Like they're the ones that can ultimately break it. Uh, but they're not going to turn turn down free money. So here we are. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by. Factor. Go to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. It's the summer months. That means summer weather with warm temperatures and sunny skies. And Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. And you can use Factor to get delivered wholesome, convenient meals perfect for the sunny, active days of late. Factor meals are flavorful and nutritious and delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you don't need to spend time and energy on all the usual prep, chop, cook, serve, and clean up work of cooking. And you can skip a trip to the grocery store. Looking for calorie-conscious options this summer? Try delicious, dietitian-approved, calorie-smart meals with around 550 calories or less per serving. Factor offers delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week. Categories including keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, protein plus, and more. Featuring premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. And having Factor deliver fresh, ready-made meals to your doorstep is faster and cheaper than dining out or getting takeaways. It takes just two minutes to heat up a Factor meal, and then it's ready to eat. As you heard on the show earlier this year, Zach got sent some Factor meals and absolutely loved them. He particularly liked their roasted garlic chicken dish and the turkey chili. You just pop them in the oven, transfer to a plate, and you can enjoy a delicious dinner with just the right portions. This June, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Choose your fresh, flavor-packed meals and have them delivered to your doorstep. So head to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. That's promo code happyhour50 at factormeals.com slash happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. Thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show. All right, so on Vision Pro this week, there was some new digging through, I think this was just from a WWDC session, about the radius limit for immersive experiences, so VR experiences with Vision Pro. Mayo, can you explain this to us? Because I don't get it, so explain it like I'm like five years old. (laughs) Yeah, so this isn't like breaking news of this week it's just people kind of still digesting everything Mm -hmm. they talked about and this has been in the documentation they're not trying to like hide away from it there's like a big red box that says that explains exactly this so basically um when you're using the vision pro there's different types of experiences 
Apple calls them spaces that an app can live in, right? So there's the shared space, which is probably what you think of when you think of the Vision Pro, which is the thing where the windows kind of look like stage manager and they're kind of floating in front of you in space. And you can see the world behind with pass-through, but like the windows are floating. You can push a window back. You can resize it. You can leave it in a different room and come back to it later. That's the shared space experience. That's where most things on the Vision Pro are going to happen because Apple is trying to push it as like this spatial desktop environment, right? Um, And so unless you're watching like a big video or you're playing a game, you know, if you're just doing you're trying to quote get work done or like browse the internet or whatever you're going to be in the in the shared space environment and that's a space where multiple apps can exist side by side and they can project 3d content into that space if it makes sense so in the demos that apple did there was like in messages people were sending 3d objects to each other and you could like pull the object out and it would exist mm-hmm. in the shared space alongside the mostly 2d windows but in general it's a 2d experience in a 3d world right is the shared space Obviously, this headset Apple um, touts as an augmented reality machine, but it can do VR as well. In fact, it's more VR by default if you turn the pass-through cameras off, right? Like, the pass-through is kind of what it makes, like, this fake augmented reality experience. So, in VR mode, you can either have the kind of semi-immersive mode, which they use for, like, when you're looking at the Panorama photos in the Photos app, where you're kind of still in the real world, but, like... You, you, you've, you've got this thing that kind of wraps around you. Yeah, it surrounds um, you. Yeah, that surrounds you. So yeah, that is, again, that's still counted like a shared space environment. It's just like the the window takes over temporarily. Mm-hmm. The fully immersive spaces are what you're going to be imagining if you're doing like full in fully enclosed games. So like, not like the um, the dinosaur thing, which the, like the dinosaur demo you got WWC, you could still see the room, right? Right, So yeah. that's not a fully immersive space. That's like a portal in the current shared space environment. A fully immersive thing might be if you've got like a fully engrossing 3D game where you're like playing like Beat Saber, for instance, right? Where you don't see your environment at all. Um, all you see is the game content and you're in like this fully virtual reality world. It's hard to give you a um, a visual example or a concrete example right now because Apple very intentionally did not show any of that stuff, right? Like... They, when they talk about Apple Arcade, they talk about playing the Apple Arcade games in a window in the shared space, right, with a controller. They didn't really mention fully immersive games. They are supported and they will be in the App Store, but they're not like the focus of the marketing of the product, at least right now. And one of the reasons why um, they are not the focus of the marketing is because they are worried, I think, about like the, the, the ergonomics of the weight of the thing. They don't want people like accidentally crashing into furniture and blaming it on the headset, right? Like, so if you're in a fully immersive space, you can't see the world around you at all. If there's a game that's like, well, come over here, you know, you can navigate with a controller, but your, your mind wants you to walk over there. Um, and, you know, accidentally you hit something, okay, you, you, you know, you hurt yourself and you're blaming the headset. So yeah. that's one of the reasons. And also Apple doesn't have... Um, game controllers right like they haven't they they support xbox and playstation controllers but they don't have controllers you hold in your hand like most of the other headsets do which makes them more amenable to playing vr games right that need proper hand tracking at fast pace um but one of the other reasons why they're not trying to they're not focusing on the fully immersive space stuff is because they kind of want you using the vision pro not moving or like they don't want you um engrossed in a world like a metaverse experience for too long and so Mm -hmm. one of the restrictions they've got is that if you're in a fully immersive experience the headset will watch your movement and not let you walk more than 1.5 meters or about 10 feet uh, um, away essentially so if you walk more than two meters away 
in a immersive experience, the immersive experience will be stopped and you'll be taken oh, back to okay. mode. Yeah. So basically, it's like if you're playing a fully immersive game, they're not trying to encourage games where you're like having to dart across the room and back. And this somewhat, um, this somewhat gels with some of the things we talked about where they were maybe considering doing a lot more fitness-based features, but then kind of pull mm-hmm. back on it. Again, partly, I think, because of the weight and the heft of the thing, it, they, it, you know, it's uncomfortable uh, and they just don't want people like accidentally hurting themselves and you know apple is a very conservative company they take a lot of caution on anything new they they feel very little pressure to do something just because everybody else does it right so like i think some of the other headsets they they still have these like safety limits in place but they try they're a bit more flexible where like you can say like before you jump into a fully immersive thing this whole room here is safe is a safe zone right like you can walk here you can walk here this this five meter room you've plotted out beforehand. Don't worry if I'm walking around in this space. The Apple headset is going to be a bit more um, restrictive, at least initially, where it's like it doesn't matter what you're doing or where you are. If you're in a fully immersive environment, if you walk more than one and a half meters, we'll just turn the cameras back on so you're not in the game anymore. Um, so basically, it's like a safety feature, right? But it also just kind of speaks to the design priorities of Vision OS right now which is based on they want you to be in like the desktop environment with overlapping windows most of the time. Um, but if you're like, thinking about like, you know, a really like active moving around like table tennis game, probably not achievable if you can only walk like one and a half meters in every direction, right? So you just have to kind of recalibrate your expectations and the kind of things you'll be able to achieve. I don't think this is like a technical limit. I think it's purely like a health and safety thing. And maybe over time, Apple reduces the constraints and reduces the limits if they find that you know they went a bit too far or people are used to it a bit like the um the limitation on access to to cameras and sensors like another reason why a lot of these vr developers are upset is like you can't get access to the cameras looking outwards you can't integrate the outside world into your fully vr experience it's just not allowed um and you don't get um eye gaze tracking data you don't get it at all. Right. You can get hand yeah. tracking, but you can't get where the person's looking. But if you're making a fully immersive game, there is genuine reason why you could make a more immersive game if you could like change the camera angle based on where you're looking at stuff. Um, but that's not there in this first release. Maybe over time, or maybe with future hardware generations, uh, Apple r- removes some of these limits and some of these boundaries. But at least for 1.0, they're very specifically being like, if you're making a VR game, make sure you don't make something that encourages people to walk around too much this lines up now that you explain it pretty well with what they explained during like my demo which is the only time they had a stand up at all was to do that dinosaur experience which was meant to bring the dinosaur into your environment not for you to escape into the environment of the dinosaur and even Mm -hmm. just doing that it was it was disorienting to stand up wearing the headset just because of how heavy it is like there was a coffee table in the room where the demo was. And there were multiple times where I was pretty close to that coffee table. And that was just still seeing the room around me. It's very disorienting to be wearing something so heavy and have to look down and move around and walk around objects. So, yeah, I don't really see this as a limitation, which I think is what some people tried to say. This seems this seems like a fair safety limit to me yeah you just have to calibrate your expectations on what you'll be able to do with it right because some of the other headsets exist today they're much more concentrated as being like games machines right and there are vr games that exist where you're meant to like clear a room out 
and like stand up and be in the whole room and like flail your arms around and move around a lot, right? And the Apple headset isn't just going to let you do that. Um, at least not more than 1.5 meters in any direction. So like if there is a game where like you're meant to, I've seen some games um, where you're like, you're like walking across a tightrope and it like puts you in there and you're meant to like walk in a straight line and then it like, you know, throws stuff at you in the virtual oh. world. You're not going to be able to do that if you can only walk one and a half meters, right? Because that's not a very long stride. Um, so those kind of games are just not allowed on Vision OS, at least right now. So that's just what you have to be aware of. Um, and then the things with the the bigger limitation, I think, on games for Vision OS 1.0 will just be the lack of hand controllers. Because like the Beat Saber question is a very big question. Because you could play that static, right? You can stand up, but you don't have to move around. You just move your hands around. But if the if the hand tracking cameras are not good enough to track your hand, um, you prob- then it's just not going to be viable. And if you look at some of the developer documentation, they say, you know, rapid hand movements might not be tracked very well. So, like, we don't know until people get, like, proper hands-on testing with the hardware. Mm-hmm. But it would be unfortunate if games like Beat Saber can't be possible on Vision OS, on the Vision Pro headset. It'd just be ridiculous. So, but maybe that's what they're going for for the first version. And then maybe why the second version comes around, they'll have made hand controllers or have made even better hand tracking that can work at faster response rates or something. Yeah, it's very clear that they aren't focused on gaming, at least so far. I mean, the yeah, demo, exactly. the the yeah. example they showed during the keynote was just that two D game, Apple Arcade, like NBA two K twenty or whatever, a basketball mm-hmm. game playing with a PlayStation controller, which you might as well just play on a TV. Exactly, like, you're just you're just recreating a television set. Exactly. One of the li- reasons for that limitation is probably the weight, and so this week Mark Gurman has said that Apple is expanding testing of the Vision Pro inside the company with more employees. And one complaint that a lot of those employees have is that the thing is heavy. And this ties back to the the top strap that wasn't shown in the keynote except for one quick scene, but it was it was on the demo units that people like I wore. And it's meant to help better distribute that weight. So it's not as front front facing weight that kind of pulls your head down. It goes across the top of your head to like give you that extra layer of security. But German says that Apple actually is viewing this as an optional accessory and they aren't going to include it in the box, which is an interesting decision if the feedback they're getting from employees is that it's heavy and you kind of need that top strap. Yeah, they. I don't think they want to have to include it in the box because, I mean, you look at all the marking, it's not there because it makes you look stupid, right? Like <laughs> not having the top strap there makes the product more accessible. Mm-hmm. But if the... and. You know, someone inside Apple that designed it with weight constraints in mind, and they obviously assumed it was right. But once you expand to more and more people, you get more and more feedback, and maybe people are like, well, no, the weight's actually important. I think one of the things they said to the press, like you, was like, well, we don't have all of the the light seals and the strap yeah. sizes ready mm-hmm. yet, so that's why we're giving you a top strap to wear. Um, but you wouldn't know that, like, if they hadn't done those demos, you would watch the keynote and have no, but you know, apart from that one shot where it was there for like a second. The thing's not going to be worn with a top strip on. That's at least what they're hoping. They've still got many months before this thing ships, so the final decision on whether the strap's included in the box or not is probably still up for discussion, I would say. But, uh, you know, what Gurman says, they don't plan on doing it. If they if they don't plan on doing it right now, and in two months' time they've had a low more user testing and it's all saying they all need the top strap to use it effectively, they'll probably include it in the box. But if not, they'll happily sell it to you for $49 or something. Yeah. Ridiculous <laughs> afterwards. After all, they did say starting at $3,500, but... They did indeed. They did indeed. I mean, having worn it just for 30 minutes, 
I can't imagine not having that top strap because even with that strap, it did feel heavy, particularly on like the front of your face because that's where most of the weight is. It's not distributed very, very evenly. But I do, I mean, the light seals thing is going to be interesting because what they told me is that they're going to have dozens, if not over a hundred different sizes of light seals. And that was one of the problems I had with my fit was where it kept, it felt like it kind of kept sliding down below my eyes a little bit. So I'd have to adjust Mm. it up. And the solution that Apple in the demo room gave me was to tighten that top strap a little bit. And that worked. Yeah. I think this is just something where they need to try out more people and then they'll make a decision. And obviously the marketing side doesn't want it to be a requirement. They they want it to be seen as optional. Um, And so they're going to try and get away with it as optional if they can. But, you know, they're not stupid. If, If literally... You know, eighty percent of the people that they do expand use testing on need a top strap for it to feel comfortable. They'll just include it because they're not they're not stupid. Do you think that this like expansion of testing inside Apple is going to lead to more potential complaints? Like, is this going to be inside Apple where the secrecy kind of leads to the left hand not talking to the right hand? The group of people who had ex- tried the headset was so small up until now. It may maybe it's it's hard to think what else people can complain about really like yeah ergonomically the weight is the issue right I can't really think of something else that is like staring you in the face uh, well, avoiding the pun. One thing German said was that lots of people are apparently saying they have motion sickness, mm. or at least I think I think German said at least some more people than they originally expected. Yeah, or it wasn't like everybody wears it or whatever, but some people. I get motion sick pretty easily, and I didn't get have any problems with Vision Pro, but. Again, that was only 30 minutes. And motion sickness, the motion sickness problem, you know, they can maybe do some software tweaks, but yeah. that's kind of locked in stone until second generation hardware at this point, right? Like if they want to improve the latency more, they're not going to do that in the nine months of getting this thing out the door. That just has to be something that gets prioritized for Gen 2 or something. Um, and this all comes back to the design decisions of like the VR stuff, because if you're not moving around very much, you're less likely to get motion sick. Like it's like it's just a fact like you can do if you you can make you can craft games or experiences that are more likely to get motion sick than others and i think being in the real world with windows flying around is one of those things that is less prone to giving motion sickness um which is obviously where apple's you know all, all guns blazing prioritizing at the moment i don't know if you got it but we at least i got a pitch email from a pr firm this week about medications that can that people should check out if they're going to expect to experience motion sickness with Vision Pro. Oh, really? Yeah, it was funny. It was a list of different options and all the side effects and which one you should choose with Amazon links to different options. So it seems legit. <laughs> I don't know. We can do a test. <laughs> when, when you get yours next year. A, a hands-on the review. Best, the best medications to use. Exactly. Apple, Vision Pro. Apple, I love that headline. It'd be a good way to never get invited again. Yeah. So another leak that we've kind of been tracking for about two months now is the Beats Studio Pro. Mm. So these are new over-ear headphones from Beats, the first since 2017 with the Studio 3. And these first popped up in an iOS beta last month, and then they hit the FCC a few weeks ago. And now the launch is supposedly pretty close because resellers have been getting product listings, so basically the complete rundown of all of the new all of the features and the specs and the design so this is something we got our hands on yesterday and 
The gist of it is, is that these are actually going to be pretty full-featured over-ear headphones. They'll have active noise cancellation, transparency mode. The spatial audio implementation sounds pretty good. It's not just spatial audio, but it has dynamic head tracking and personalized spatial audio. So right now, the head tracking version of spatial audio is only on AirPods 3, AirPods Pro 2, and AirPods Max. Then they actually also sound like they're going to have some pretty impressive battery life with 24 hours with ANC or transparency mode turned on, which is actually better than AirPods Max, which are up to 20 hours. And something else that stood out to me too is Beats has this fast fuel feature that rapidly charges to give you, in the instance of Studio Pro, apparently four hours of playback with just 10 minutes compared to AirPods Max. Five minutes of charge time gives you one and a half hours of battery life. So I don't know. These look pretty good. The biggest. They, they have um, headphone jack as well, right? Yes. that They have headphone jack and USB-C. And you get both cables in the box. So Apple AirPods Max have a lightning connector. And you can get a lightning to 3.5 millimeter adapter. But Apple charges you like, I think it's $19 or something for it. So. Beats is going to toss it in the box for you. And, it, and it's just janky to use an adapter, right? Like, Oh, yeah. It, it, I've tried AirPods Max, but I didn't buy them mostly because they were heavy. And mm-hmm. they just I didn't really like the weight of them. Obviously, they're made of like premium materials, but that also makes them heavy. Kind well, of like Vision Pro. Like, yeah, kind of noticing a trend. Hand hand there. But then the secondary point was, you know, I wear headphones, obviously, this music in this podcast, but I also wear headphones every single week to record this show. Mm-hmm. And I can't... I mean, right now I'm using earbuds, but like... I would use headphones if I bought those instead. But like, I don't really want to buy $500 AirPods Max when the only way to get them to like, you know, plug into the microphone is via a stupid adapter. Like, it just feels very like awkward. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So, yeah. Yeah. But it would be a lot better if they just had a 3.5 millimeter port on them, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, this little cable is the world's thinnest cable. It's $19. But on the weight thing, too, I mean, the Studio Pro are going to be primarily made of plastic, but this product listing says they're going to weigh 260 grams, whereas AirPods Max are 385 grams. So that's That's a a big big difference. difference. And they'll feature like the more traditional headband designed with what Beats is going to say is ultra plush, which sounds comfortable. I think the biggest limitation with these things is going to be that they aren't going to have an Apple chip inside. So it'll be a custom designed Beats chip for that allows them to have Apple integration, like one touch pairing with iCloud and Siri support and very basic find my support, but also all of those same things on Android. So you won't presumably have things like automatic device switching. I'm hoping that you do get like you take the headphones off and it stops playing the auto pause which I think oh, we talked oh, about a few yeah, weeks yeah. ago, the new Beat Studio Buds Plus, which also don't have an Apple chip and they don't have the, they don't stop like when you take them out of your ears like AirPods do. And that, during my testing with those, that was by far the most annoying limitation. And it's also a question mark whether they'll get like the personalized audio, the automatic um, noise cancellation stuff that the AirPods Pro 2 get. Yeah, it sounds year, like they right? won't. It sounds yeah. like they won't. Which is a which is a, a negative to the product, but it also applies to the AirPods Max. So yeah, exactly. That's the like thing. Like it's kind of a, a, you know kind of cancel each cancels each other out. 
These look pretty good, but I mean, I still just am really holding out for new AirPods Max. Yeah. I think it's every new feature they announced for AirPods at WWDC is not coming to AirPods Max, like that adaptive audio and the one word Siri command, the personalized volume, all of that. That's not coming to the $550 Apple headphones. Yeah, it's definitely it. the AirPods Max are in an awkward spot. They need, they need a new generation, which. Even if it's just to give it a, a modern chip to give those features, uh, that would help. But I'm also kind of hoping for a bit more, like maybe a better case, better weight oh, distribution, yeah. and maybe like a slightly cheaper price because they're just very expensive headphones and they're not perfect. So it's hard to justify the price. Pro, the expectation is $350 and release date on July 19th. So. Presumably, that means people like me will have them to review pretty soon. So I'm sure we'll talk about it more and I can when you get them. lament about wanting new AirPods Max again once I have yeah. these. But <laughs> it, although uh, it, well, at least you can't say that Apple is artificially limiting what Beats can do because they're certainly making Apple's uh, lineup embarrassed in a few different ways. Yeah, that that's that's the angle I like to take when I cover Beats stuff. Just some of the things Beats does really makes you question what Apple's doing. And especially in like the earbuds, the pricing on some of those is a bizarre difference for what you get. But all in all, I've, I mean, I think the Beats acquisition and everything Beats has done since Apple acquired them has been has been just as good as they would have been independently, but probably better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I think this week on news was pretty light, wouldn't you say, Mayo? Wasn't the best, wasn't the best little bit slow it's the summer slowdown so what we wanted to do was do some ask nine to five mac questions so we put out a call on twitter and got a few uh this one comes from rich fletcher and they say i feel like the iphone image post-processing is going backwards my images from iphone 12 pro and 13 pro are much better than iphone 14 thoughts I mean, this echoes with something that kind of went viral a couple months ago when MKBHD did a video on it, sort of showing how some of Apple's post-processing camera stuff has gotten way too aggressive. But the same can also be said about some of the things Android makers are doing. But what do you think, Mayo? Has Apple kind of gone too far? I mean, the, the idea that it's gotten worse from 12 to 13 to 14, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's the, the photo, like, I think... There is a there is a software problem somewhere because you take photos using the raw mode on the phone where you're doing the 48 megapixel shots. Right. Mm-hmm. You get some really high detailed, good looking photos. The disadvantage is the file sizes are huge. You have to shoot raw, blah, 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 blah. But I feel like the difference between the... Like, the sensors are the same, right? It's just like the shooting mode. So, But then you go to the JPEG, normal shooting mode, and you see a lot more like noise and artificial like you know enhancements that kind of I feel like if you look at the raw shots that come out and then you look at the you know the Apple process versions by default, it does feel like they could do a bit better job at, res- at preserving more of the detail you see in the original shots. They have to do some processing because the sensors do have a lot more visible noise than they do when they apply the noise reduction to them. And people want noise reduction because they don't want it to look grainy or whatever. But like, you just look at some of the raw detail you get out of the 48 megapixel sensor on the 14 Pro, and you don't feel like that. I don't feel like that fully translates to what you get day to day when you're shooting not in that mode. 
And so it does feel like somewhere in there they could do a better job at software processing to make those things feel closer together and therefore improve the quality of the default shots. I also think the iPhone 14 Pro does suffer compared to previous generations when you're taking close-up images because oh yeah 100 percent the telephoto not the, tele, the standard wide lens when you go oh sorry the tele yeah the telephoto right when you telephoto, go yeah when you go up close it goes super blurry and then it switches to the no no so right but I, this this is hard because they they try and fake it but yeah the, the standard wide camera got a shorter focal length than the previous year's wide camera so mm-hmm. let's say you're taking a picture of your passport right at that distance you're not super macro you're just like you know holding it 10 centimeters away on the previous generation phones it would still be on the wide camera when you take that photo on this on this generation it switches to the telephoto lens in the apple camera app if you take a photo in a third party camera app it doesn't know to switch. So you just get a really blurry image. It's like really annoying. And when is the most, like, this comes up for me when I mentioned the passport example, like you have to do some of those apps where you have to like scan your government ID. These apps don't know to switch lenses. So you take a photo of your passport and it's really hard to take it on the 14 because it will stay on the default wide yep. camera and it'll be super out of focus and super blurry. And you have to like really get it right so it works. It's super annoying. Um, yeah, the same applies when you're like, if you go to uh target or walmart or something and you do the self-checkout on your phone like as you go through the store and you have to scan the barcodes on Mm -hmm. each item that's a brutal experience on on the 14 pro and if the app's new to switch to the telephone Mm -hmm. camera would be slightly better um but clearly they like that's just a bad experience so it shouldn't be like that um and i think apple did it to prioritize the 48 megapixel sensor right yeah. But hopefully one of the improvements they make with the second generation 40 megapixel sensor this year is that the shorter focal length is better because that is definitely a downgrade compared to the previous years. I I can't say to the to the original question, I can't necessarily say that post-processing is going backwards, but I do feel a bit unsatisfied with where it is and I feel like they could do a better job. The one area where like they haven't really applied much post-processing is getting rid of that. You know, like the lens flare that comes up when you're mm-hmm. taking a picture like towards... like bright light that's still a problem and it has been for probably since like the iphone 11 <laughs> it like it wasn't a problem then it became a problem and it's still a problem and it doesn't seem like the craziest thing for like a algorithm to just see those green spots and no fake remove them but on the other hand you have samsung like taking fake pictures of the moon so that's apple's not doing that yeah but the picture you take of the moon doesn't i like i the samsung moon thing is like I don't really care about no. whether the picture's real or not. Like, if you would never good, know, it's good, yeah. you know. Like, and I think with the Samsung thing, like, you know, if it, it wasn't like faking reality too much, it's just like the moon always looks like the moon, so we might as well make like, make it look better. They just kind of didn't like um, advertise it properly. I think so it gave people the wrong impression. If they were advertising, yeah. it, I think it would have been more widely accepted. Like, I think honestly, Apple could probably benefit from doing more machine learning. You know, AI enhanced camera photography stuff and get a better overall result um they just don't seem to do much of it at the moment they feel like the the whatever algorithms they use for the iphone camera it feels a bit out of date is the kind of impression i get i don't think it's going backwards like as mm-hmm. as what uh, rich fletcher said uh, but i don't think it's like necessary anywhere close to as good as it could be then spencer caruth they ask 
what are the biggest hurdles Apple is currently facing towards more widespread adoption of the Vision Pro, price notwithstanding? To me, the I mean, it's just going to be a very, very hard sell to convince people to wear something like this on their head, especially for somebody who lives with other people or basically is committing to watching and consuming content or working enclosed off into their own world. That's a hard, hard sell. It is a hard sell, but I would say if you could give a reason as to why it's worth it, then people would do it. I think the problem is they just they haven't shown enough or given you enough compelling reason to put it over your face. Like, yeah, that too. It's like I I still have reservations. Like I think it's really cool as we spoke about when we did the Vision Pro episode, you know, not too long ago. But like a lot of the things they show are just basically just like compensating for the fact you got the headset on. It's like my <laughs> pass through is amazing. It's like well, yeah, but if I didn't have the headset on, I'd have perfect pass through because I'm just looking yeah. at the real world, you know. Or like I'm watching a um you know i've got three windows open at once it's like yeah but you can do that on a laptop or a computer like is it really better that there's three windows floating in front of you in space versus just being on a 2d screen like i don't i'm still struggling with that like you have to put this big bulky headset on for what like is it really gonna be better to do your job with windows floating around you compared to just having like a laptop that everybody already has plus you have a screen in front of you or you can get a second screen monitor if you really you know need the extra space like it's a that's what i think is the hard sell about it like the 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 the, the immersive video situation or sort of the you know the cinema mode that mm-hmm. kind of thing is probably the most compelling argument but you're not really going to buy this whole product just for that and people already and it's not going to replace your television like your TV, you, you can't buy a Vision Pro headset and then be like, well, I don't need my TV anymore. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, you have another person around. You want to watch TV <laughs> together. It's going to have a TV. There's going to be stuff on the TV that you won't be able to get on the Vision Pro headset. You know, the Vision Pro headset only has two-hour battery life. Like, all these problems. The TV's not going anywhere anytime soon. And so re- making the, the, the cinema argument for the headset is hard because it's like, well, is it really better than watching it on a TV? Maybe slightly, but you've got all the downsides that come along with it. So, like, getting right. the use cases there is the real big... Is is the number one issue, ignoring the price. If it was cheaper, then... May, the, the thing is, though, if it, like, these things kind of interact with each other because, like, yeah. if the product was a lot cheaper, then you could have it as a thing that, like, oh, you know, it's only $1,000. I can watch some films on it when nobody else is around. I can maybe get some work done here. I can play a few games. You know, it becomes less, it becomes an easier sell. When it's three and a half, then you have to justify the use cases way more. Like, the biggest hurdle I'd say with the Vision Pro is people buying it at launch, because, you know, it's going to, you know, the, the the diehard fans or whatever, or, you know, it's cool. People are going to buy it out the gate. The, the, the test for it is whether people are still using it after, like, two months' time. So like it comes out in May, are people still using it in July? Like yeah, that's the that's the that's the thing that, that and that's what gives it longevity as a sales thing, as a as a as an actual thing to adoption. Because if people are using it after two in two months later for you know doing stuff they actually find value in, then it starts to build up word of mouth. Other people see why to buy it. You know, you get more people on board. I struggle to see how like what percentage of people that buy a Vision Pro on day one are still going to be using it two months later. Like it feels feels hard to break out of the gimmick category with that iteration of the hardware at that price. Successive, you know, future generations, iteration on mm-hmm. software, all that ecosystem stuff. Like, I'm not saying the headset's a doomed product forever, but, like, this first-generation attempt, not convinced. I'm wondering, too, how much of the... how much convincing Apple's going to have to do to the public for 
the whole uncanny valley side of things, which jumping back to like the talk show, that was one thing John Gruber said was when he said the words uncanny valley, Greg Josiak was quickly like, we don't like those words. Like that's clearly a concern. And some of the demos and examples shown during the keynote, I think heighten that concern of the uncanny valley for some people, the shot of the dad wearing the headset, filming his kids. That's a big one. The other one where the woman is just kind of sitting there by herself, but also talking to someone while wearing the headset. That's, that's a weird one. The quality of the persona rendering. The persona is a huge one. Yeah. And, and you know, some of that's just not going to be about solvable in one year. Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Persona stuff is, you know, it's a software thing, so they can make it better. But at some point, you're limited by the rendering capability of the hardware. Right. And this this Gen 1 headset has an M2 chip in it, not an M2 Pro, not M2 Max, right? Like, it's just got a standard M2 chip in it. We know what the GPU power of an M2 chip is, and it can't render photorealistic 3D worlds at a high frame rate. It just can't, because it's not that good, you know? Like, it can maybe render some objects at a decent resolution or whatever, but, like, it can't do everything, and so you have to you have to calibrate your mind. There is going to be uncanny valley situations everywhere because, like you know, that dinosaur demo you got, I'm sure it was mm-hmm. really immersive and really cool. But if you actually look at it, the graphics are going to be not as good as a real life dinosaur. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it's or or as good as what you see on like prehistoric planet on Apple TV Plus, right? Because that's pre rendered video and it can be you know done by these massive server farms over months. Like when you're when you're rendering stuff in real time, the GPU constraints are so much higher, and so. And that's something that only gets better as the years go on and silicon gets better. And last but not least, Apple Watcher, user on Twitter, asked, best Apple product you think has been released and why? And then Mayo, you added the the limitation where excluding iPhone. So best Apple product you think has been released, excluding iPhone and why? Yeah, because I mean, it's too easy. If you it's too easy? IPhone. Yeah. So if that's, I mean, you you'd agree, right? You'd have to shoot yeah. the iPhone if, yeah. It's like it's too it's too easy. Like the iPhone changed everybody's world. Everybody uses it every single day. Basically, all of Apple's growth over the last decade is from one product, which is the iPhone. You know, half the products they released after the iPhone just depend on the iPhone existing. Like it's too hard to pick anything mm-hmm. else. So you have to take the iPhone out of the equation. And what I like about Apple products is they feel like effortless and intuitive, and as if they've always been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, to at least give one angle on trying to decide what the best thing is. And I think the most emblematic thing of that is probably AirPods. Ah, okay. Like, you know, an AirPod, and it depends how you take this question in your head, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. if you only, if you were nailed to a wall and you could only have one Apple product for the rest of your life and it couldn't be the phone, I'd probably pick my MacBook, right? Because it's just, yeah. the, it's the, like, in that way, it's the best and most capable thing. But, it is a computer and it has issues and it has like the bulk and the weight and it doesn't feel like super obvious. It doesn't feel like it's always been there. I feel like the AirPods are a great execution of like, here's this thing. They look exactly like the things that we used to wear, except now they don't have any wires on them. And there's basically no downside. Like they just work and they keep making them better and better with all these noise cancelling features and stuff. But like the raw idea, there's just something so magical about like the first AirPods, you got them out that tiny little like box, that yeah. was like a Tic Tac box. They were like these little earpod things. They didn't have wires on the bottom. You just put them in your ears. They just played music. And then you put them back in the box and they started charging. Like it was such an effortless, you know, it's not the most sophisticated Apple product that exists. It's not the most technically capable. 
But I feel like it was just a perfect execution on an idea. And that's how I'd answer this question, I'd say. Like, the iPhone would give would easily be my number one answer to that if you were allowed to pick it. But you take that out of the equation, I'd say AirPods. It's interesting you say that, too, because remember when AirPods were announced, they were, like, universally mocked? And once people tried them, it was, like, all of that mockery stopped. I think everybody's in agreement now that AirPods are better than what we had before. I, I don't think I mocked them. I'll just say well. As we I'm established sure at the, and find an episode yeah. of the show where I said the opposite, but uh, I, I think I was on the right side of history on that one. As we established at the start of the episode, you're always right, or whatever. You're you're perfect. <laughs> I think is what you said. Uh, no, I'm going to be misquoted now for months, but um, some things I'm wrong on. But I try and be right. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I think you made a good point talking about like how the Mac fits into this equation, because the Mac is probably the most maybe even not excluding the iPhone. The Mac is probably like the most important product for a lot of people just because that's how you make your living. But so and you, ha- you can use it for entertainment as well. Yeah, right? it's, like it's like productivity and entertainment. Yeah. But if you look at the, I'm going to go a little bit further back and I'm going to say the iPod is okay. my example of the best Apple product because I think the iPod was not only huge at its time, for what it did and what how it compared to some of the competitors. But the ramifications that it had for the music industry are huge. The whole idea of buying a song for a dollar and you owning that song, that was unheard of at the time. But then also so much of what the iPod was kind of laid the groundwork for the iPhone, like building that consumer ecosystem, building the ecosystem and the brand of iTunes, Apple's relationship with music. I think... Prior to the iPhone, the iPod was probably like one of the most successful and most important mass consumer products ever released. Oh, 100%. And the iPod is what got people like me and a lot of other people into Apple to begin with. The iPhone would not have been as successful as it would have been if they hadn't, if they weren't known as the iPod company before that. Exactly. 100% true. So that's a different answer than yours, but I mean, still music related. I think there's a trend there. (laughs) Yeah does it for this week if you have feedback for the show you can email us happy hour at nine to five mac.com and thank you to everyone who has reached out to me and mayo just to wish us good luck and say that you're sticking with us through this transition we appreciate that um you can find us in apple podcasts where you can leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to get ad-free episodes for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can find me on Mastodon, Twitter, or Instagram at Chance H. Miller. And listen to my other show, 9to5Mac Daily. And Mayo, where can we find you? BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.